to continue our series on judges and begin talking about Gideon today. And when I was researching Gideon and, and reading through the passage of scripture that talks about him, I realized that I'm probably going to have to turn this into three different parts because there's just so much that Gideon does and there's so many things packed into these chapters that I really want to take my time and go through it rather than trying to quickly brush over a lot of different things that happen. So we're going to begin reading in Judges chapter 6 today, and we'll start reading at verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So God appears to Gideon while he's working to call him to free the Israelites from the Midianites. And Gideon's response is one of asking questions of, of why are you telling me this? Don't you know who I am? Because Gideon came from really the lowest of origins. He came from the lowest part, the lowest tribe, and even in the tribe, he was the lowest of the tribe. So he really was coming from kind of that bottom of the food chain type position. And so that's why he's really wondering why God would pick him out of anyone. And God's response to this is simply that God has chosen him, and that God would be with him to go and do what God was calling him to do. And God wanted Gideon to realize that it didn't matter who he was and where he was coming from, that's not what was important. What was important was that God was calling him to go do a work, and that God said that he would go with him, he'd give him the strength to do that work. And Gideon, all he had to decide was whether or not he was going to obey God as God was calling him. Was he actually going to go and do what God was calling him to do? Or was he going to stay in this mindset of there's no way that I can do it? And by God telling Gideon that he was going to go with him, he was also telling Gideon that he needed to rely on God to get through this. God wasn't calling him because somehow Gideon was great enough to be able to free the Israelite people, God was calling Gideon and saying, as long as you rely on me, as I go with you, I will give you the strength that you need. So the strength that Gideon needed to rely on wasn't his own inward strength, it wasn't his own skills and abilities. What he needed to rely on was the Spirit of God and his guidance. And God was then promising Gideon that he would strengthen him through this endeavor. And God does this 
with everyone that he calls to follow him. God promises to give us the strength that we need, no matter where we come from. He'll give us the strength to go where he's calling us to go. That's exactly what Jesus did with his apostles. The apostles that Jesus had, the disciples he had, that he then sent out, weren't really extraordinary people in and of themselves. A lot of them came from just as low of origins and positions that Gideon came from. I think about uh, that passage in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin. And as they're standing there, it says that the Sanhedrin, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, there wasn't anything really particularly special about Peter or John. And just in hearing them talk, the Sanhedrin, who were these great religious political superpower, in a sense, at that time, as they were listening to Peter and John speak, were thinking to themselves, boy, these are not educated people. But they knew that even though they weren't using all of these educated terms that the Pharisees and Sadducees used, that everything they were speaking was still true and powerful. And of course, that's why they hated them. Because they weren't part of this in-crowd. They weren't part of these educated class, in a sense. And yet they were still speaking truth that these educated people were not able to deny. And they said because of that, because they could see that even though they were uneducated, that they were still speaking truth with power and authority, that they had to have been with Jesus that this was because of God's influence on their life. And God will have that same kind of influence on our life as well, as long as we allow him to do so. And as long as we get out of this mindset of saying, oh, but I'm such a terrible person, I know all of my flaws, I know all of the mistakes that I've made, I don't come from anywhere special, I in myself am nothing special, what could God possibly do with me? And to get out of that mindset and realize that God will give you exactly what you need for where, he's, where he calls you to go. And we need to let God lead us in that and, and really let God define us rather than letting our past define us. Because as long as we are obedient with God, it doesn't matter what kind of life we've had before. Everything can change in that moment where we submit our will to his and follow his leading. And when we do that, God will strengthen us in the exact same way that he strengthened Gideon. So then let's look at what it was that God did through Gideon. Let's jump down this chapter a little ways and begin reading again at verse 25. It says that that same night the Lord said to him, speaking to Gideon, said, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. 
using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So now we have this situation where God tells Gideon to go and tear down his father's altar to this false god. And Gideon, we can see, is still nervous about this, not just of his father, but of the people who are there. And so he does it at nighttime instead of at daytime. And that tells us a little bit into the character of Gideon as well, was that he didn't all of a sudden think, wow, look at how great I am to be chosen of God, and now I'm unstoppable. He, still, he was still dealing with these self-conscious issues of not having confidence in himself. And so when God asked him to do something, he did it, but he did it at nighttime just so that nobody would see him doing it. And so he's still struggling with this willingness to set aside who he was and who he is in order to allow God to work through him. But he's making progress. He was still obedient to God and tore down his father's idol and he broke the altar to Baal. And he also cut down the Asherah pole, which was another uh, goddess that they served. And when the people find out that Gideon was the one who did this, they go to Joash, Gideon's father, to demand that he present his son so that he can be killed. And Joash comes to Gideon's defense. And he will not give up his son in order to allow these people to kill him. So not only was Gideon in this moment being strengthened by God, now he was also being strengthened by his father, who was looking out for him and protecting him and defending the actions of Gideon. And I think that it's really so powerful that Joash defended his son in this moment because the idols that Gideon tore down were Joash's idols. These were the gods that Joash was serving, and yet he wakes up in the morning and finds the idols that he is serving, the gods that he serves, that their altar, their pole of worship, is torn down and destroyed. And then he finds out that his own son did this. That Gideon was the one that tore down these objects of worship to Joash's gods. And yet, he refuses to present his son before the people because he knows that they will kill his son. 
So now, not only is Gideon being protected by God, he's being protected by his father. And think about the change that took place in Joash in this moment. Because again, that altar, that that worship pole, belonged to Joash. Joash was serving, when he went to bed that night, was serving Baal and Asherah. And yet... When he finds out that his own son has destroyed those objects of worship, not only does he protect his son, but he even uses it as an opportunity to challenge Baal, the god that he was serving the night before, saying, well, if Baal really is God, then he can defend himself. You see, there was something about Gideon's actions that spoke to Joash. So that the God that he went to bed serving, that now the next day he was questioning, is this really a powerful God that would allow his own altar to be broken down? And so not only in this moment do we see Joash defending Gideon, but we also see in this moment how Gideon's actions are bringing Joash back to faith in the one true God. See, it's not just Joash strengthening Gideon here. It was also Gideon strengthening Joash's faith. It's not a one-way street. They are both strengthening each other. And that is one of the wonderful blessings that come when we take it upon ourselves to help strengthen other people is that we are also built up as we strengthen others. That as we pour into the lives of other people that oftentimes they're pouring right back into our own lives. And through that partnership you become stronger together than separate. I mean, it's the same concept with marriage, that you can do more together than you can separately. That's what we see happening here between Gideon and his father, that Gideon, through his obedience to God, is strengthening his father's faith, and that because his father's faith has been strengthened, that his father is willing to defend Gideon for doing something that he wasn't even confident about doing. And they both became stronger because of it. Now there's one more passage in this chapter that I want us to look at. So after this whole event takes place with Gideon and his father and the altars, Gideon then gathers together his tribe and begins marching out to take them into battle. And it's while this is happening that we then go into our next passage here that begins at verse 36 says that Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and run out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. 
Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. Now it is so interesting to me personally that God fulfills Gideon's requests here. Because God has already told Gideon what he needs to do, Gideon has shown that he's very hesitant about this, questioning, why would God pick me? You know, why are you picking me, God? I'm the lowest of the low. And then when God gives him an instruction to do that, he does it under the cover of night because he's worried about the people attacking him. And even now, he's gathered up his army and is walking out to meet the enemy head on in battle. Really a point that seems like there's no turning back here. I mean, what are you going to do? Just turn around and tell your whole tribe of people, you know what? I don't feel like fighting. I don't feel like going out to battle. Uh, let's just disband. Let's everybody go home. When they've already been marching for battle. They've already gathered together. They've said their goodbyes. They're marching out. It really seems like the point of no return at this point. And yet Gideon goes back to God and says, God, if this is really what you want, please do this miraculous work so I can feel better about this, so I can feel comfortable about what you're asking me to do. And then God does it. And yet again, he says, okay, God, now don't be angry with, with me. I know you just did this for me to show me that I'm following you and, and that this is your will, but I want you to do another thing to make me feel even more comfortable with this and even more that this is what you're asking me to do. And what really surprises me is that God still does it. He doesn't get upset with Gideon for asking for this extra confirmation because again, they're already marching to battle, and yet Gideon wants more confirmation from God. And yet we see God giving it to Gideon. That God strengthens Gideon again and again. And if anything, this is such a testament to God's character and his love for us and his patience with us. That he was willing to Gideon. And, and we can see that Gideon isn't just demanding a sign from God. He's not just saying, God, you know, we, we kind of, as we talked about before with Deborah, where Barak was saying, I'm only going to go if you go with me. Otherwise, I won't do that. That's not what Gideon's doing here. Gideon's not saying, God, if you really want me to do this, then you're going to have to show me a sign. And I'm only going to do it if you give me a sign. That's not what Gideon is doing. Instead, we see him coming before God humbly, pleading with God, please don't be angry with me. Let me just make a request. Let me ask you for this, God. And so what we have happening here is, is not Gideon being full of himself and going and demanding things from God. But what we have here is a man who is continually wrestling with the same theme a lack of confidence in himself. So that even now, in this moment, as battle is right on the horizon, he feels more and more nervous. Does God really want me 
Am I really equipped for this? I don't feel like I am. I don't have that confidence. And he really just opens up his heart to God and, and says, God, I know I, I need to trust you, and I'm doing that. I gathered these people for you like you asked me to. I'm marching out like you've asked me to. But God, I'm still nervous about this. I'm still uneasy. I'm still not confident about this. And please, if you could just help calm my nerves, if you can just let me know that I am doing what you want me to do. I would appreciate that so much. Not demanding, but requesting. Realizing that he's not entitled to this. He just lacks the confidence. And that's why God answers his prayer. Because God does care about Gideon. He cares about the whole people of Israel that will be led to freedom, but he also cares about Gideon and with what Gideon is struggling with, that he doesn't have that confidence on his own. And so we see the faithfulness where God said, I will go with you, Gideon, that now as Gideon is marching out, that God is being truthful to his promise and he is there with Gideon. And he's reassuring Gideon that he's there. God didn't just strengthen Gideon by calling him the mighty warrior and go and I'll go with you and leave it there. Instead, while Gideon is going, God continues to strengthen him. And this is not something that's exclusive to Gideon alone. Because God promises to be with all of us wherever we go as well. And he loves us the same as he loved Gideon. He cares about us, not just what we do for him, but the things that we wrestle with and struggle with, even as we're trying to be obedient. God knows that it's difficult for us sometimes. And if we ask, like Gideon asks, God, I'm not confident enough to do this on my own. I know I'm not skilled enough to do this on my own. God, I need you to comfort me as I stand here uneasy. And it doesn't matter if it's our first time requesting that from God or our 50th time requesting it from God. God is always willing to comfort us again. That's part of why the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Because he wants to comfort us. He wants to let us know that we are there and that we're doing what he's asked us to do in the way that he wants us to do it. God doesn't leave us out to dry. God is there with us and he goes along with us in the things that he calls us to do. And sometimes we just forget to ask for that comfort. And we forget to listen to that comforting spirit speaking to us, letting us know that he will help us through whatever it is that we're going through. And really, that comforting that comes from the Holy Spirit, that reassurance that comes from God, we're only able to receive that as long as we continue to listen 
for it. And that we are paying attention and, and putting time into our relationship with God, really nurturing our relationship with God. Not just something that we do on Sundays. We don't just talk to him on Sundays. We don't just worship him on Sundays. But every day of our life, everything we do that we go through with God, letting him speak to us and guide us, and that we have that kind of closeness with God because God is willing to have that closeness with us. He wants that closeness with us. Scripture talks about God being someone who sticks closer than a brother. But if we aren't listening for him, we won't hear him. If we aren't looking for him, we won't see him. If we're overconfident and think that we can do it just fine, we're not going to feel the power of God strengthening us to get through the things that we need to get through because we're not relying on him for it. It's not a God issue, it's an us issue. And so we want to make sure that we are always nurturing that relationship so that God can continue to strengthen us. So in this chapter, and we'll see more of it in the chapters that we'll read you know, in the following weeks as well, but as we read about Gideon, it's easy to see that what made Gideon so great was not anything in and of himself. It was the way that he was strengthened by others. The way that he was strengthened by God. The way he was strengthened and protected by his father. The way he brings his tribe around with him to give him the help and strength that he needs. And even then, continuing to allow himself to be strengthened by God again and again because he needs it. What made Gideon so great was that he allowed himself to be strengthened by others. That was what made him great, particularly that he allowed himself to be strengthened by God. And so with that in mind, I want to leave us with this question. How does God want you to pour into others? and to be poured into by others, and to nurture your relationship with him so that he can strengthen you. How does God want you to do that? Spend some time in prayer this week and listen to his voice to know how he can continue to strengthen you through your day-to-day -day life, both directly by himself and also indirectly through others. And that that will then fill you up to be able to pour into the lives of the people around you. God knows the best way for that to happen, but you need to take the time to listen for his voice. And when you do, he is faithful, he is patient with us, and loving to us. And he is always there when we go to him. And that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share these messages with others to help get the Word of God out into the rest of the world. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you 
as you go throughout your day. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.